Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Hey there, plant friends. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so glad that you guys are here because, oh my God. I have no idea what's going on. It is just crazy hot. And I know it's summer and we live in Central Texas, but this is ridiculously hot um, already. I mean, it feel, I mean, we were just one week into calendar summer and it's nuts. It's way too hot. It seems too early and it's lasting way too long. This heat wave is, it's been brutal and it's not even July yet. And I think it's just so gross, crazy and hot. And it's so hot that, um, I made up a new term for it. I'm calling it irrational heat. So anytime that it is just too damn hot, it's an irrational heat. It's not right. I, I'm, I am already tired of it. So I don't know. Let's uh, commiserate about this weather and the effect that it is having on our little backyard gardens. But... You know, whining only gets us so far. Um, So I want to spend some time today talking about um, some ideas on how we can um, do some things for our plants and help them through this hotness. (laughs) I also want to spend a little time um, talking about, um, you know, the near future Uh, not so much the immediate um, time period, because growing in Central Texas isn't necessarily hard. Um, Keeping them alive is much harder, but, you know, we absolutely can do it. This time of year is hard. It's hard on the plants. Um, It's hard for me because it's kind of a... There's a bit of a lull, and this heat just kind of slows everything down. And it's been a real drag for me the past couple of weeks because, you know, earlier this year, May was phenomenal. It was just so, so pleasant. You know, we had rain and we had some cold fronts push through that kept temperatures cool. And because of that mild weather in May and during the first half of June, everything was so green and happy. I had lots of 
lots and lots of blossoms, incredible amount of blossoms um, for me this year. Now, um, white flowers in general don't really catch my eye. Um, I'm just not, it's just not anything that does it for, for me. Um, I prefer more colorful um, flowers. But, you know, when we moved into this house uh, 20 years ago, um, you know, we already had plants here and we have probably a dozen crepe myrtles and there are um, several white crepe myrtles in our backyard that, you know, somebody planted, you know, quite a while ago. They're, They're very big, mature crepe myrtles. And... I, I never pay, have paid much attention to the white ones just because, you know, I, you know, I get excited about the purple and the crepe myrtles that we have. But this year was different because the white ones were just covered in blossoms, so heavy with blossoms that their branches were actually drooping. And the trees were just covered. They looked like they were covered in snow. They were amazing. The rest of my garden was looking really nice too. Um, Lots of tomatoes and zinnias. I have zinnias all over the place this year. My mimosa tree was spectacular too. And my lavender plants. I finally got a lot of lavender spikes that came up. So between the lavender and the mimosa, I was just in heaven because the fragrances, so, so beautiful, so gorgeous smelling. And then this heat just kicked in right around the middle of June We had gone out of town for one weekend. We actually only spent one night away from home, and I swear to God, we left. The grass was beautiful and green, and when we got back home, like 24 hours later, the lawn was khaki tan, they look like the exact same shade of like work pants, <laughs> cargo pants. I don't know. That tan, dry, bleh, boring color. And I was like, oh my God, what happened while we were gone? And the heat has not left. It's just hot, hot, hot. And I'm already over it. I don't don't get it. I don't know why we deserve this, but see what I'm saying? It's an irrational heat. A lot of my plants out in the beds are struggling right now. May was so, so awesome for all my veggies that I planted, and they looked really healthy. But this heat wave and the intense sun is taking a toll on everything. I'm having to water a lot just to keep them looking 
you know, halfway good. In the mornings when I go out to do my chores, the plants, you know, they look, they look well rested. They look pretty good. And I'm able to, you know, water a bed or two or three while I'm taking care of um, things out in the yard and, you know, getting ready uh, to go in for work. When I come home for lunch, you know, I sometimes peek out at the garden. Um, I can tell that they are starting to feel the heat. But by the time I get home from work, my poor veggie beds all look so exhausted, sad and wilty. So, you know, as soon as I get home, I start watering the beds, um, focusing on the ones that didn't get watered in the morning and it's it's working um they start to perk up and look better the next day so I'm really hoping to that all my efforts are going to keep them productive just a, a little while longer it's not really just the intense sun that is hard on plants but it's also the higher overnight temperatures that inhibit growth. So while, you know, you and I really love it when the sun goes down and the temperatures cool down to a really comfortable 75 degrees if we're lucky, um, that is still too warm for some plants. And they won't grow unless they have cooler temperatures at night. Also, when daytime temperatures consistently um, hang out at the 90 degree and above level, um, even more plants will just completely stop blooming. You know, these really warm days, other plants still produce flowers, but their pollen loses viability in the heat and fertility decreases and it's very poor um, quality fruit that will set. Maybe it doesn't even set. And, you know, there's not a lot you can do um, about that. But I will tell you that um, some things that you can try, especially because most plants benefit from afternoon shade and you can help your plants by putting up some shade. When it comes to providing some shade, um, you have a, quite a few options actually. You can just use something that you already um, already have like an old white sheet or you know maybe you have um, a window screen that you have laying around. Maybe you have a roll of burlap around. Um, you could also use um, a section of lattice that will block um, quite a bit of sun. And, you know, I feel like those are, you know, good options. But if you um, want to know exactly how much shade you are providing or you don't really want to hang up an old uh, sheet or a curtain in your backyard and you have 
uh, a certain look for your garden, you know, then, yeah, you may consider purchasing um, shade cloth. Shade cloth is used to protect plants from too much sun and solar radiation. What it does, it diffuses the, the light while providing um, ventilation. Plants grow grown under shade cloth. Um, they're more likely to have larger leaves and grow taller. Shade cloth, um, it's, uh, it comes in different shade densities, and that's represented by a percentage. It's sold this way because um, different plants tolerate different amounts of sun and shade. The percentage is a reflection. Uh, if you'll notice, like the weave is kind of tighter. Um, the lower the percentage, the more open the weave, the higher percentage, the tighter the weave. Now, heat-loving plants don't really need um, as much shade. So 30% shade cloth works great for peppers and tomatoes and squash, um, those plants that um, just need a little break from the heat. They're heat-loving, but they, they benefit from a, a break from the intense sun. 50% shade cloth is good for um, flowering summer plants. Shade cloth that is higher, like six, 70% or more, that's usually um, used for ornamental plants like houseplants that spend the summer outside. Lighter colored shade cloth, um, it reflects the sun's heat. White shade cloth reduces light, but not the quality of the color wavelengths that are in the light spectrum. So plants use the color wavelengths for photosynthesis, and then they were able to make their own food using carbon dioxide and water and sunlight. Darker colored shade cloths and other dark materials, um, they absorb the sun's heat, and these darker shade cloths act like filters, and they can actually block certain color wavelengths, and you need to keep that in mind, because depending on the placement in your garden and how much sun your plants get during the day, um, you could actually deprive your plants of too much light, at least, you know, reduce the number of important color wavelengths that your plant needs. Um, it's just kind of something to keep in mind um, when you are selecting shade cloth and um, putting it up in your garden. Most plants benefit from afternoon shade. So it's, you know, it's, if you're going to invest in shade cloth, it's worth your time to assess the light in your garden and figure out how to get them some shade. You know, the best part of shade structures are they aren't permanent. So you can always um, adjust or change them or remove them. Um, you know, maybe you start by using something you already have just to get your plants some shade and see how that goes. Um, you know, you may want to invest in some nicer um, shade cloth that you actually know 
of the percentage. But um, as the summer wears on, I think you'll be really pleased with whatever you use to give your plants sun. I mean shade. One of my favorite things about summertime is fresh produce straight from the garden. And I love easy summertime meals. So I'm always looking for ideas to elevate and enhance flavors of fresh produce. Quick salads are my go-to for cool and refreshing meals. And the best recipes always seem to feature just a small amount of high quality ingredients. If you are looking for something exceptional to complement your meals, try the specialty oils and vinegars from McAvoy Ranch. From orchard to bottle, McAvoy Ranch has been crafting California olive oil for three generations. Their estate-produced olive oil is grown, harvested, milled, and bottled with the highest standards. This summer, I am really enjoying their blood orange olive oil. A quick drizzle adds richness and a sophisticated hint of citrus. If you enjoy fine foods, but you also like supporting small family businesses, visit www.mcavoyranch.com and enter promo code PLOW15 to receive 15% off your next order of award-winning products. That's McAvoy, M-C-E-V-O-Y, ranch.com. The summertime temperatures are here. If your plants are starting to look a little stressed, come by Taylor Garden Center for expert advice and excellent products to help support your garden through the worst of summer's heat. Just like humans, plants need nutrients. Healthy plants need healthy soil. Taylor Garden Center is an independent local nursery that not only specializes in native and drought-tolerant plants and trees, they also carry a full range of soil amendments, organic pesticides, and fertilizers, including locally made, known source fertilizer. Shop local and head over to Taylor Garden Center, located at 1902 West 2nd Street in Taylor, Texas. Okay, I just went and looked at the forecast for next week, which is um, holiday week, 4th of July coming up. And I just kind of like glanced at it and it was all in the 90s, but then I saw a little chance of rain there. And then I also saw um, 91 and I was like, oh, that's awesome. (laughs) I was like, at what point did like... it being 90 sound like a really great temperature that, you know, it's going to be hanging out in like the far upper 90s, uh, 99, 98, 97 over the holiday. And, oh, yuck. Oh, well, I know I'm, I'm starting to sound really um, whiny just talking about all this heat. So, you know, see, it's already making me crazy now. So it it truly is irrational heat all the way around. But you know what? We can still have a decent summer garden if we can make it through the roughest parts. Sometimes that's going to be hard. 
Um, but the very best thing that you can do for your plants this summer is to check on them every day if you can. You will notice the changes like water and heat stress. But, you know, once you get in that habit, you'll also um, be able to recognize um, insects and any sort of damage. And the sooner you notice issues, the sooner you can address them and reduce and prevent too much damage. Because water and heat stress plants plus insect damage... Yeah, you can you can lose plants pretty quickly either because um, you know they're not healthy plants or because you just completely give up on them. I've been there. Um, I've got a couple of plants out there. I'm considering just letting go, but check on your plants and make sure they are getting plenty of water. Give them nice long twenty. 30 minute soaks, you know, at least twice a week. Watering deeply is really important because it trains your plants to develop deep roots. And you want your plants to grow as deep as they can where the soil is cooler. If you only like water like a few minutes, you just go out there and do a quick, you know, five, 10 minute sprinkle. Um, it, it is beneficial, but the problem is, is that shallow rooted plants, they keep their roots closer to the surface. They are much more vulnerable when it gets super hot and they, you know, the, the soil just dries out so much more quickly. So water deeply, let your plants get you know, a good long, you know, 20 minute soak, whatever you can, you can figure out to, you know, get that in every other day, you know, just depending on how they look. Um, I've got several beds, so I tend to try to squeeze in my watering, um, do some in the morning and then do some in the evening, um, depending on how the day goes and, all of that, you know, I, I might be able to, to skip a watering. But as you spend time in your garden, you will really learn about your plants and how they're responding to conditions. Potted plants are a little bit different. They absolutely really need to be watered pretty much every single day as we head into July and August. And, you know, if you feel like they're getting too much sun and you might need to move um, your potted plants around a little bit so they can um, have some afternoon shade, you know, sometimes it's just as simple as moving the pots, you know, a couple inches further back up under the patio. And that can make all of the difference, you know, between your plants frying and thriving. Also, um, assess, assess the mulch situation in, in your garden. Do you have mulch in your beds and in your pots? 
Mulch is really important as Mother Nature cranks out the heat because mulch help, helps keep the soil moist and cool and it keeps those roots protected. A healthy root system is really important to keeping the top parts of your plants alive too. When the upper portions get stressed from disease or damage or stress from water, all of that heat, a healthy plant with a healthy root system is more likely to be able to recover. So if you feel like you need to add mulch, go ahead and add it. Two or three inches of mulch um, will give you the most benefit and help you reduce evaporation. It also is a good amount to insulate from the high temperatures. Mulch also helps keep um, the weeds down too, so there's endless benefits to having mulch. May and the first half of June were awesome. They were really great. You know, those mild spring weather, you know, nice rainfall. Everything was grow, grow, grow. But it's going to be stupid hot for a while. And then it's going to feel really, really long. I'm afraid it's going to be a long, long hot summer. This time of year is also when, you know, the garden really starts struggling and it starts to fade. Part of that is, you know, um, the plants that we planted um, earlier this year, you know, they've put out what they're going to put out as far as produce and you know that they may put out um, a few things here and there. But, you know, the other thing about this time of year, it, July, there is just very little that we can plant from seed right now. The temperatures are just too hot for most seedlings. And without a whole, whole lot of intervention, they will struggle. But that said, there are a few things that can be planted from seed right now. Um, mainly warm season greens. It's the, you know, this first week of July, you can still, you can do one last round of okra and southern peas. And if you want pumpkins in time for Halloween, this is the time to get those planted. And, you know, there might be a few others that still can be planted and they'll do fine the next couple of months. Um, okra, warm season greens, southern peas, pumpkins, they are all heat-loving plants and can take the extended daytime heat in warmer nights. But, you know, give them a chance. Put up some sort of shade for the little seedlings and give them a chance to get established. Once they get a little bit bigger, you can take the shade um, shade structure down. Um, but, you know, maybe you don't feel like um, struggling for all of July, you might want to just look ahead to what you want to do for your fall garden. And honestly, that is probably what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to be, I've got some trips I want to take and um, 
I don't know. It just, I'll, I'll try to keep my plants going, but um, I've had a good harvest and I will do what I can. But if something is failing and struggling, I'm just going to let it go. And then I'm going to focus on what I, what I want to do for the fall garden, which gets planted actually in August. It is actually, you know, whether August is um, a weird time. It seems counterintuitive to be planting things, um, especially when it's so hot. But if you keep up with watering and shade, August is a really good time to get another round of summer favorites planted. Okay, so, you know, this time of the year, around the 4th of July, um, this is when people get their first water bills, and it kind of gets us all thinking about watering. And the heat also is ramping up and starts stressing out the landscape. It's usually the time when a lot of people start taking an interest in drought tolerant and heat tolerant plants. Summer in central Texas is tough on everything, tough on all plants and not just the vegetables. Keeping plants alive and looking nice, it's a struggle, especially if you don't have the right plants planted at the right time and in the right spots. More often than not, Central Texas summers are very dry and we don't get a lot of rainfall in June or, I mean, in July or August. And it's really essential to supplement and water your landscape if you want to keep things green and productive. But anyone who gets a water bill surely understands that it's not free. And that's when everybody gets the idea of trying to figure out how we can reduce the water bill. And that eventually leads to an interest in xeriscaping or xeric landscaping. And this is a way to conserve water Plus, have nice plants year-round. Xeriscaping is a type of gardening design that uses native and non-native adaptive plants specifically for areas that are prone to drought. The word xeriscape is kind of a blend of the Greek word xeros, which means dry, plus landscape. So it literally means dry landscaping. It's spelled X-E-R-I-S-C-A-P-E, Xeriscape. Xeriscape is sometimes mispronounced as Xeroscape, which amuses me because it sounds more like an entire yard of nothing or possibly a yard full of gravel with no plants at all. But that is not Xeriscaping. And it's not cacti and rock gardening either, although xeriscaping is very prevalent in 
dry, arid climates and places that focus on water conservation because they know it's really super important to conserve water, especially like in the desert southwest. In urban areas in Texas, about 25% of our drinking water supply is used for landscaping and gardening and mostly for keeping lawns green. Xeriscaping has embraced um, in dry areas of the western U.S. for quite a while. In fact, um, Denver, Colorado was a pioneer. They were one of the first urban areas to adopt and provide programming on xeriscaping as a way to encourage residents to use less of the city's drinking water on lawns. Xeriscaping is also promoted um, all throughout Texas by the Texas Agricultural Extension Service, and it's as a way to raise awareness and maintain but also preserve an adequate supply of high-quality water. It's so important as you know, the climate is gradually changing and we all need water. So we are kind of fortunate here to be so close to Austin. Um, the city of Austin has a really super program to promote waterwise gardening and it's all over their website. If you do a search, um, Type in Grow Green Austin, and it's going to be like the very first thing that pops up. Um, It's so easy to find Grow Green Austin, and it takes you to the city page, and there is just a ton of information. And because um, that's our geographic area, it applies to surrounding communities. So the information is really, really good if you want to jumpstart on xeriscaping ideas. Central Texas is growing like crazy. And because we have more and more people moving here, um, you know, they are because it's a wonderful place to be. But more people and more homes mean more resources like water are consumed. And we really need to be mindful of how water is used. So reducing your water bill is a side benefit of xeriscaping. Um, I think it's a really good thing um, on top of conserving our precious water supply. Xeriscape garden design is much more than simply selecting certain plants. It That's a super important piece of xeric garden design, but it's also extremely dependent on watering habits. Sometimes I notice people misunderstanding xeriscaping and they seem to think that if you get drought tolerant plants, then you really don't need to give them water or very much um, care after you get them planted. And those can be disappointing assumptions to make. 
And recently I was in a meeting one day this week and someone brought up Zurich landscape plants and just the things that they were saying. And um, it, it really wasn't my place to uh, correct anybody in this meeting, but I was definitely thinking, yeah, you really don't understand Xeriscaping. Xeriscaping includes gardening basics like planting native species, mulching beds to reduce evaporation, you know, implementing good watering habits like watering deeply, less frequently to promote strong roots. But Xeriscaping also includes less conventional gardening practices, uh, lifestyle practices like rainwater harvesting and collecting gray water. Gray water refers to recycling household wastewater. Um, that does not mean um, human waste water or sewage, so no toilet water, but collecting water from like the laundry after the washer drains. Gray water is also used bathing water. Um, it's diverted from the shower drains, the tub drains, sink drains, and the water is diverted. Um, it doesn't. It, it diverts it from the wastewater line, where all the wastewater goes. Um, it is diverted through a fil filter system where it removes. Um, hair, lint, some soap particles, those kind of things. And then it's stored for later use. It's not purified. It's just filtered. So you can reuse it for things like irrigating your water or I mean, watering your lawn, irrigating your garden, or, you know, using it to fill the toilet tanks and you could use it for flushing. It's a really interesting and a great way to get a second use out of water. Plus by diverting your gray water and reusing it, you can reduce your water bill. Gray water collection is very common in Areas that are prone to um, drought, but also in areas where they're more um, water-wise and water-conscious and communities that actively promote environmental practices. Gray water plumbing is sort of a specialty. Um, I don't really see it advertised around here, like this company specializes in gray water. But, you know, I really believe that gray water and rainwater collection are going to be um, probably a lot more popular as Central Texas grows and people move here. They have the expectation that we have a gray water system. Um, also, you know, with climate change and people becoming a lot more um, conscientious about water, I bet you uh, gray water systems um, 
will be much more common in our area. I mean, honestly, it's just a matter of time. I mean, climate change is here. Both rainwater and gray water collection, you know, they require an upfront cost. And, you know, if you're handy, you can probably figure out it on your own, you know, go watch some videos, um, do some research. Um, and, you know, if you're, if you're so in, inclined and you have some knowledge, you can convert some of your plumbing to a simple gray water system. Um, for me, it's uh, not my thing. I, I mean, I definitely want to have a gray water collection system, but I'm going to have to pay somebody to do it properly because I don't have the patience for those kinds of projects. And, you know, I don't have the tools for that. But, you know, maybe you do. You know, check out gray water collection. So water collection is just one project you could implement um, at your home to help improve or, you know, reduce your water usage. But there are other Xeric ideas that you can implement as um, an investment to your property. If you have an irrigation system or you're, uh, you're planning to put one in, you can um, improve your watering habits. Um, sprinklers are great because, you know, you don't have to worry about them um, not turning off um, when you leave. Um, they're set up to automatically run for a certain amount of time. But, um, you know, they, they can be problematic, too. Um, you know, they get, they get um, broken and need to be repaired. But you can really use them to your advantage, um, especially if you learn how the sprinkler system works, um, if you're able to program it. And um, if you aren't already doing that, be sure to have them run before 10 in the morning. And, you know, during the summer, maybe don't run them until after 6 p.m. And you'll greatly reduce um, loss to evaporation, daytime evaporation. If you happen to need repairs, um, consider switching them out so that you can water differently different parts of your yard have different requirements and you know you can select heads that water your plants more effectively and they have all kinds they have heads that are better for lawns ones that spray like in a fan and for certain distances they have ones that you could swap out and use in beds and you know they even have um, ones that are specifically for trees and shrubs like bubblers or drip lines. So changing and fixing sprinklers and watering at the right time of day will reduce water waste by reducing loss through evaporation. Um, and also having the correct spraying patterns um, and fixing the broken, busted sprinklers is also really important. And this is one of my pet peeves as I drive around town is seeing a busted sprinkler head that's like spraying all kinds of wrong, like spraying straight up in the air or over spraying and watering the driveway and into the street drives me absolutely crazy to see um, 
watering in the middle of the day too because I just know that they're just wasting money. But anyway, plant selection is also really important for xeric scaping. It's the most fun part, but you have to know what your plant wants. You know, learn about its light and water requirements. Make sure that it's going to grow in your soil type. Um, we have two primary types of soil here in Central Texas. We have heavy clay, uh, um, which is predominant east of I-35. And then west of 35, they have more hard caliche clay over on that side. So you really need to know if your plant um, will tolerate these types of soils. Because if you don't, you absolutely will kill your plants slowly if they are somewhere where they don't want to be. Some plants just cannot stand to have soggy roots and they demand well-draining soil or they will die. Um, And this happens in heavy clay soil that doesn't have any soil amendments. It can also, um, plant death can also happen in sandy soil that, that is well draining. Um, but those soils tend to dry out quickly and plants that like to stay moist, they're not going to thrive, um, because, you know, the, the water is draining away quicker and drying out faster. And if they dry out too much, they will die. Xeriscaping success really depends on making plans and having good design with proper plants and making sure they're in the right places. Learn about them um, and, you know, group your plants together by their light and their water needs. So similar plants are together and, you know, Choose places for them where you know they're going to thrive. Plants that like moisture, you can look around areas of your yard and find areas that stay more moist than others. And also, you know, plant these things near downspouts. And you can also plant them where they can take advantage of air conditioning condensation lines. There's free water out there by your air conditioner. Just take advantage of it. So design your garden to take advantage of shade as well because incorporating shade-loving plants, the plants that thrive when they're not in direct sun, those also typically use less water overall. This concept of um, xeriscaping is going to be harder for some folks to implement um, depending on where you live. And that's because if you live in a neighborhood that has a homeowner association, they may have some pretty strict rules about your lawn. Homeowner associations uh, tend to have bylaws and when you move in there you agree that you'll file 
the bylaws and there's actually all kinds of weird stuff that may be included. Um, things like how often you have to mow and what percentage of your yard has to be grass. And some places have really stupid rules about keeping the grass green, which is ridiculous in Central Texas for about half the year. The conditions just aren't conducive to lush green lawns naturally. So you may end up having to spend quite a bit of water on keeping your grass green if that's what your homeowners association bylaws call for. So you may not be able to reduce your lawn as much as you would like. Just know the rules. But, you know, don't be afraid to ask for an exception to the rules. You know, there, there may be other people that have suggested that, or maybe you could talk to your neighbors and maybe attend some meetings and see what it takes to change the rules of homeowner association bylaws. But you'll, you'll, you'll never get a change if you don't ask. So water or turf grasses are water hogs and lawns are labor intensive. So with this idea, really look at how you can reduce the amount of grass that you have to maintain. Also, you can select grasses varieties that require less water, but you could also convert those grassy spaces to flower or vegetable beds. But if you want to get rid of some grass and you don't want plants, you could always replace the grass with pavers and paths, maybe patio or deck space. So, you know, areas without a lawn actually can look really good and you will reduce mowing and watering and dead, ugly summer grass. If you have enough space and you aren't breaking any HOA rules or going against city ordinances, maybe you can consider letting parts of your lawn just go revert back to wild. Maybe let the sides of your yard go and maintain a smaller section. You know, let the let the sides of your yard grow taller and then allow it to die back on its own. What you'll see is when you do this, new plants will grow in these parts of the lawn. And you might actually be amazed by all the cool plants that come up when you let it just grow wild. Um, You'll have all kinds of flowering plants that you wouldn't normally have come up in your lawn. Um, these, you know, wildflowers are really important to pollinators and birds and small um, creatures that are in your lawn. A lot of these um, are 
kind of interesting and, and cute. Sometimes the flowers aren't much to look at, but um, if, once you get close up to them, um, you find that they're so much more interesting than just boring grass lawn. Now, if you do go that route, you might encounter um, some rude jerk who complains about it. But, you know, that's, it's, it's still your yard, it's still your space, and if you aren't violating any ordinances or bylaws, then so what, so what would they think? But it might actually give you an opportunity to explain why you do this why you, you know, you don't want to mow that part. You want to leave some flowers for the butterflies and you want to leave some habitat for lightning bugs. Maybe you want to um, let the grass go to seed so the birds can have some food to eat. Um, you know, some people might not care, but, it, you know, it might get other people really thinking about the environment and reducing their mowing bills and everything associated with all this turf grass that we have in our lives and around us. So, you know, there's, there's all kinds of opportunities to be had and there's so many benefits to xeriscaping. It's very beneficial in the long run. There's still, you know, a learning curve but like anything, it just takes time um, to learn about them and it also takes time for plants to get established. But, you know, once they do, your garden is going to look amazing and it'll be a lot more interesting than everybody else's lawn, grass-centric, boring old yard. Central Texas is brutal in the summertime, but fall will be here soon enough, and that's really the best time of the year to plant your um, key plants, the ones that are, are a little more expensive, but they, you know, things like perennials and shrubs and trees, those are the ones that um, you want to spend a little bit more money on and get those right, because they will last a lot longer. If native and xeric plants interest you, you know, take some time this summer, maybe spend July learning more about xeriscaping. There are some really beautiful gardens that are 100% xeriscaped, but unless you are starting from scratch or you have, um, you know, the resources to do a complete makeover to your yard. It's going to take a little time to have a fully xeric garden. But enjoy it. Take the time. Enjoy the process and make the gradual changes. Pretty soon you'll reduce your water consumption and you'll have a healthy garden that stands out from your neighbor's. All right, well, thank you for joining me today. Stay as cool as you can. Check on your friends, your family, your neighbors. Make sure everybody um, has what they need to make it through these hot, hot days of summer. And be sure to drink lots of water yourself.
All right. Take care and we'll catch you next time. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.